This is episode number 193, how to make persuasion and self-promotion a force to increase the amount of good in the world with Michael Sheen. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming call called Courageous conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those that are walking next to us. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.com. Today, The last thing that I would like to mention is if you have liked any of the previous episodes and continue to enjoy the content that we put out there, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Michael, welcome to the show. It is wonderful to be here, Oleg. Absolutely. Thank you for being a part of it. And I guess we also got to thank David uh, for introducing the two of us. How yeah. many months by now? Probably closer to half a year, right? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch? I, with in, in fact, it was probably more than that because I think it was before the pandemic. Oh, that's right. It has been half a year in the pandemic. <laughs> seven months, almost eight months. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. I, yeah. I'm still thinking of it in terms of, hey, it just happened two or three months ago. But really, it's been seven months already wow time has has people have said this and i really agree time has gotten weird it's moving at a weird sort of pace ever mm-hmm. since this all broke out mm-hmm. i wonder i wonder why that is if it because it's not kind of not normal routine and so people might have just forgotten about i wonder if it's that structure that actually get, allows us to or reminds us of time to begin with Yeah, like it almost feels, I don't know about you, but to me, it sort of simultaneously feels like really quick, like Mm -hmm. you just said, but also like it's been happening forever. Like I'll see a movie where people aren't wearing masks, you know, and it's like, what do you mean? No masks? I mean, when did that ever exist? Right. So, and don't don't you ever remember in, I don't know if um, what your experience was, but when I went to college, I was there for three months and came home on Thanksgiving and it sort of seemed like it had been four years, you know what I mean? Like I had yeah. these lifelong friends after three. Maybe it's because a lot of new things are happening in a concentrated period of time. I don't know. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that when I went to school, A, years went by significantly faster than what I was thinking. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned after all of that was over was for at least my experience and maybe your experience has been similar, but it's wanting some of those things to go even faster. Like when I was in school, I kid you not, my, my first thought was, man, I can't wait till I get out. <laughs> I can't wait till I'm done with it. 
but then you get out and you're done with it and your world changes because even the concept of networking is no longer the same. Yeah. You know, in the classroom, you were forced to be in the same room as 40 or 400 people. And you were kind of given no other option but to talk to them. And they were taught networking. They, they called it like friendship. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Outside of Social that, life. It's a very yeah. different story now because you're not forced in the same room. It's mm-hmm. more based on your individual choice choosing right. to go into those names. I agree. Yeah, it's very different. It's harder to make friends when you're older mm-hmm. for that reason. But anyway, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. Look at this. We could talk forever. <laughs> um, the topic that I wanted to have a conversation with you about was this concept of <laughs> self-promotion and persuasion. And maybe the way that we can start off this conversation is kind of shining a light on the other end of that. And, and that is, in your opinion, why do you think both of those concepts carry negative connotations? Well, I've really embraced that whole idea pretty head on. I mean, I, I've called it hype. I mean, people try to smooth the rough edges out by calling it persuasion or self-promotion or marketing. Um, I recently wrote a book on the subject and it's called the hype hand book because call, let's, let's call a spade a spade, right? I mean, people usually think of hype as something that is very negative. It, mm-hmm. It's when you don't have any, anything that has meat you, you drum up a bunch of smoke and mirrors to, to, to generate um, attention. And, and I, I, I have a couple of, uh, you know, based on your question, you know that I feel that that's not entirely accurate, but I do mm-hmm. feel that there are a lot of negative, you know, um, pieces. I think that human beings behave the way human beings behave. They react to stimuli the way they react to stimuli. That's neither positive or negative. That's just the way it is. Our brains Mm -hmm. are not designed to be accurate. That being said, on average, people that we would consider ill-intentioned or negative people Mm -hmm. tend to be better at taking advantage of these kind of flaws in our brain than people who are well-intentioned. And as a result, a lot of people fall for, are persuaded by, or are excited by people who get them in a lot of trouble. And I, and I think as a result, we tend to think all persuasion, self-promotion, hype, marketing is bad because it's so often applied for, for bad, for, for, mm-hmm. for bad things. Yeah, I also get curious because it seems to me and even being in this line of work that <laughs> the image that one receives when he chooses to promote others, it's very different than the image that I receive when I choose to promote myself. When in reality, yeah. it's just like, why is it like that? Me, I mean, this is just a guess, mm-hmm. but I mean, it, it could be because um, if you're promoting someone else, you know, well, I don't know. I mean, if you're being pr- paid to promote someone else, I think that's often looked at as negative. You know, people have a lot of negative things to say about the advertising industry and the PR industry. I mean, if you read an article and you know someone paid to have that article placed, you don't trust the article. But I think that if I'm talking someone else up, mm-hmm. you figure that it comes from an altruistic place because what's my vested interest, right? If I if I go up to someone and I say, you know, you know, this guy, Oleg, I was on his show. It was one of my best interview experiences ever. Plus he does all this great work in the world. He's really smart. You should check it out. Like, you know, 
I have a certain name in the world, maybe, and I'm talking about you. And it's kind of like, yeah, you know, sure. You know, what's my vested interest? But if I say I'm the greatest person in the world, you know, I mean, I, I might be saying that so I can take your money, right? Or, or mm-hmm. eat tomorrow. So I think, I think it's natural to be on guard for some of that. That's a guess. Do you think one of the reasons why some of us might be on guard is because it's seen as a form of competition as far as, hey, I'm promoting myself, therefore I'm somehow taking away toys from the sandbox that you may not be able to have? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't think so for me. I mean, I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I walked into a furniture store about a month ago. And the salesperson who obviously worked on commission was a really nice guy and was a relatively good salesperson. And I I bought some stuff from him. However, you know, they get compensated by how much stuff they sell. So there was a certain couch that was tan, right? And he starts telling me that I should buy this couch. And I'm like, well, I I don't really want a tan couch because I spill things on it. I have a white couch, you know, a tan couch now, (laughs) white tan. Welcome to the club. (laughs) And it looks horrible, you know, this and that. And he says to me, it has Scotch guard, or it may have been some other version of that. And it, it cannot be stained. And I'm like, you're telling me no matter what I pour on this couch, it cannot be stained. It cannot. Absolutely. I'm, I said, I know that you're incorrect. I know that if I pour red wine on this couch, it may not stain as badly. No, get a bottle of red wine now. It can be stained. So if my best friend told me that, mm-hmm. I might be more apt to believe them because what's the vested interest? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this guy's trying to sell me a couch and he gets mm-hmm. a commission. And so when he says something that absurd, frankly, how do I trust that? You know what I mean? It sounds like nonsense, right? I saw so him protecting myself. Other people, you know, someone who's 19 years old who never bought a couch before might be like, okay, you know, sure. You know, it doesn't stain, <laughs> you know, modern science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But you did live you, and learn, I guess. Did you end up trying it with the bottle of wine? No, there was no wine in this store. I was, I was considering getting a Coke because there was a vending machine, but I, you know, I just didn't buy the couch. That would have been interesting to see if it yeah. actually worked. Yeah. That's actually a good way, a good lesson to learn whenever it's offered, try it out. Yeah, go do it, right? See if it actually yeah. works. Exactly. Because yeah. I think that that's, I think you're spot on when it comes to that trust component, because I mean, I experienced the same exact thing, even when it comes to, let's say, buying a car. Someone mm-hmm. tells me my most recent purchase when I, when I had the car two, I bought it two years ago, I was told all of these different things about it. And to a degree, many of them have been true, but with a car, it's very difficult to know those things. You know, it's very difficult to trust someone fully when they say, Hey, it's not going to break down within the next, let's say 100%. Yeah. A hundred yeah. or 50 or a hundred thousand miles. Yeah. That's so long that you have to wait until a possible thing happening. Exactly. How can you prove that? It's un, it's unfalsifiable, you know, because exactly. you know they're going to come up with a reason by the time it happens, right? Yeah. So. And so that's where I think the, this component of trust really plays a big role. And, and I'm also curious to hear from your perspective, how do you think trust forms? Like where does, what is the, not necessarily the ultimate thing that moves it, but what kind of sparks that concept that okay i can trust this person or this thing or this process so i think it's so different it's a great question because we're always thinking about that and there's so much mistrust now and maybe there always has been i think it varies right i mean Mm -hmm. i think um 
you know, the typical things are all true on a one-to-one -one basis, reputation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, and, and this is actually coming full circle. This might be why I got so interested in this concept of hype that I've sort of dedicated the last 10 years to, to studying it and writing about it and even practicing it a little bit um, in my, in, you know, in, in, in an ethical way and seeing if it still works is that I've seen more on a mass psychology level people and organizations, usually people though, who run organizations, who do things that in any other scenario would make them untrustworthy, saying things that are easily disproven, um, you know, getting themselves in trouble where people have, credible people have allegations against them of, of doing harm. And yet large numbers of people continue to follow them. And, you know, I had people like that in my own life. I, I, I've had certain people in my family who were very, um, I guess, narcissistic individuals or whatever you want to call it, but very, very magnetic, you know, sort of like patriarch figures in the family. Mm -hmm. And they would tell people in my family, and I fell for this at times, something, and, and it wouldn't pan out the way they said it. But then they would say it again. And, and the magnetism was still there. You didn't just say to yourself, like, eh, this, this guy's an idiot. Like, or, or like, I can't trust this person. It's like, well, no, you know, th this time, you know, they had a reason for, for telling me something wrong the first time. And so I started to get really interested, maybe because of what I saw out in the world, maybe because of what I saw in my family. Why is it? Because that's a pretty strong psychological thing, right? If you're able to get 20 or a million people to, to, to bond to you and get excited about everything you say when all logic tells you that this person should not be listened to based on past experience. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it in politics recently. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it happens all the time. What is going on with the psychology there? If, if, if something is so powerful and we're supposed to be the rational animal and we're quite clearly not because millions and millions of people continue to distrust their own eyes and distrust their own ears and get emotionally engaged in these people and these causes. So if, 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 if that can be done, can those same forces be applied for good? Because if that's the way our brains work, that's the way our brains work. If we're able to become so emotionally attached to someone just based on the way they frame language, can we become emotionally attached to good causes? So that that's, I, I just found that always very interesting. Well, I think part of the challenge within something like that, at least based on my experience, is in situations where one may support, and we, we've all done it, let's face it, supported certain things that later on did not turn out to be the best of influence or the best of mm -hmm. impact there's it's almost a double-edged sword here what you're going against because you're going against your own self-belief of what you believe to be true so then it's Correct. the confrontation of judgment that i have to face on my own end internally in thinking that man i can't believe that i fell for that or i can't believe i believed <laughs> in the x y and z mission vision or person and then I think one of the reasons why it's a really good example to look at, but it, you're right. It does happen all the time. I think one of the reasons why some of those influences continue to kind of grow and manifest with the same numbers is because maybe there's real fear 
of us as individuals confronting that and saying, okay, whatever I believed 20 years ago, I don't have to believe anymore because of X, Y, and Z. And so I just end up going with the flow because looking myself in the mirror and saying, hey, maybe I did think wrong in an X, Y, and Z situation. It's, it could be a difficult thing to do. It's, you're, you're so right. I mean, as I, I began to study it more formally, um, there's actually a, a psychological principle called cognitive dissonance, where if somebody um, believes something and then there's ev- very strongly and there's something that contradicts that evidence, the brain has a need to iron out that discrepancy or it, or it has trouble you know, functioning. So like, for example, what a lot of cults do is, and this is a good reason to distrust hustle culture in the entrepreneurial world, because what a lot of religious cults do, like like the Moonies, like the the um, Unification Church with Severin, Reverend Sung Young Moon, which is a cult mm-hmm. that people give up all their money, et cetera, et cetera. They have their followers work like dogs, usually promoting the religion. They have them like, they convince them to work like 60, 70 hours a week for free. Now, why does that help? Well, on one hand, they get free work, but the most important thing is that if you work 60, 70 hours for something, mm-hmm. it's hard to then tell yourself if you see evidence that you're being conned or that this religion isn't true, that you just worked 70 hours a week for six months on something that's completely useless. So you can yeah. either say, I just wasted six months of my time, or you can say, well, actually, those people are wrong. The, the religion is really valuable. Yeah. But our brain has to make sense of that. And it works really, really well, that tactic. And it goes back to the attachment, mm-hmm. right? It's being attached to a particular thing that gives you meaning in life and work is one of those things, right? The views that we have, the beliefs that we have, all of those things give us meaning. They shape us who we are. And in breaking away from those things, that's why it could be a challenge. It's the same exact reason why I think I, I've experienced this many times, even myself, where there are certain habits or behaviors that I had that I've realized over time were just no longer serving me. Right. But the difficulty of looking myself in the mirror and saying, hey, maybe watching Netflix at night for four hours is not the best thing to do if I actually do want to aspire in, in achieving some of these goals. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's that honest truth and honest conversation that needs to be had. And, and in reality, that conversation, it's just you. And it's difficult, you know, it's difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, if, if, if you're listening to this and, and you've struggled with this, I mean, don't beat yourself up too much because it's the default mode. It's actually unnatural to tell yourself the truth in that way. It's possible, but it's unnatural. It's more natural to do the opposite, you know, to lie to yourself a little bit, to iron out those discrepancies. And this has been studied, I mean, in, in psychology mm-hmm. laboratories. Did you ever ch- find that challenging? Oh, any yeah. All the time. In I, still, life? I still, I still struggle with it. You know, I mean, I, I always have a tendency like, um, for example, I, uh, I started taking um, a martial art recently, Wing Chun, mm-hmm. Ob- oddly enough, during a pandemic, because I've gone through some things in my life and I found it very centering and there are things you can do without sparring. And for the first like five months, I was just a machine, you know, I was doing it on my own all the time. And the last three weeks, Um, I've slacked off a little, you know, still doing it, but slacked off. So my gut 
my, I, I was ready to say it right now as an excuse. You know, my book launch is coming up. I'm doing all of these podcasts. I had a deadline, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. You know, I'll get back to it soon. And it's, it's totally understandable that I'm not doing it. But I know deep down that when I take the time to do that practice in the morning, everything else goes faster and smoother. So I'm, I'm, I'm lying to myself. I want to make mm-hmm. myself feel better, right? I do it all the time, but mm-hmm. I fight it. Mm-hmm. But I'm a human being. We all do it. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in this, in the concept of <laughs> the power of your story. Not only the story about reframing your past, but just the everyday story. You know, how do you tell a story to yourself that's convincing enough for you to get into a form of action or habits? And I, I think it happens to all of us. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it. The times where we'll get up in the morning or <laughs> I, I used to create these um, ridiculous routines. That's the best way that I could put it to you, where I would say, I'm going to get up and literally like machine, you know, right. bam, 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 work out, do all this. But then in reality, some days you wake up and you just don't have enough energy to do some of those things. And then in that process, I would talk myself out of it. Oh, I can do it tomorrow. Well, the problem of telling that tomorrow's story is that tomorrow actually turns into tomorrow, then it turns into a next month, a year, and then you actually never do the task to begin with. At the same time, you you brought up a point, you treated yourself like a machine. Like, I mean, there's not a human being on the planet who is a total machine. And unfortunately, we see these people... this is another element of hype. And with social media, we see it all the time. All of these mm-hmm. people out there are showing their best sides, right? So like, I like Ryan Holiday. He's a big kind of writer, thought leader guy. And I'm sure he's as astounding as he makes it out to be. He achieved success very young. But to hear it from this guy, it's impossible to live up to him. I mean, he, he, he reads 300 books a year. He, I mean, he writes with such confidence that it's like, you need to live your life this way. This is how I live my life. But who the heck knows what goes on behind closed doors, right? I mean, I'm sure that yeah. he has his moments of laziness and slacking off and yelling at his spouse and whatever, yeah. you know? But we but we measure ourselves against, you know, really difficult um, yardsticks. Actually, let me ask you, Oleg, because you're yeah. really good at this kind of stuff. How do you iron that out? How do you iron out the desire to not let tomorrow, today turn into tomorrow, 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 and not beating yourself up until you're a bloody pulp, you know? (laughs) Great question. (laughs) And I can't say that I do it perfectly, but I think for me, (laughs) what makes the most sense is I used to look at routine. I've tried every single routine in the book, at least the ones that I could think of. I tried time blocking, you know, literally minute blocking, like activity. And then what I realized was, in order for me to prevent that story of tomorrow happening more often, that it wasn't so much about the activity being completed in a specific time frame, but it's more so just getting it done. <laughs> so on days, for example, if I don't wake up at 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning, but get up at 8 or 9, I still choose to remind myself that, yes, I might have missed that two-hour window to do all of the quote-unquote self-care things but it doesn't mean that I can't do them throughout the day right I like that I do them at later later components and and in a way it makes the experience less robot-like it's more human you know like I like who cares if I work out at 2 p.m or whatever the time they allow and that that was a 
great reminder. Now, are there things that I still tell myself I'll do tomorrow? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, in fact, what I've learned is that that story becomes a lot more evident if it's a task that I don't feel like I have control over. What do I'm you sure mean? you experience similar. For example, when you, when you know that in order to achieve X, Y, and Z, you need to connect with ABC company. And oh, until you that connection happens, happen, even if you exactly. work hard on it. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. So I do everything that I can, but then I just put up the um, additional effort that I could put into it and tell myself, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. And maybe there's truth to that. Maybe and there's sometimes you can't do it. I mean, sometimes yeah. you can't, you can't control if someone responds to you or not. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. and then sometimes there's trial and error. Sometimes I step away from things. See, I sometimes have the opposite problem. I'll have something that I can't crack. And then I say, no, I need to crack it. I need to crack it. So I don't do a million other things that might energize me. Instead, I just keep staring at a white sheet of paper when I finally step away, then tomorrow I figure it out in two minutes. So sometimes stepping away is good. I guess like anything else in life, it's an art, not a science, right? I mean, you just yeah. gotta figure it out. But something I like that you said is this idea of being a little loose with when you get it done. Because have you ever been like, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to eat better and you're just like really eating properly? And then one day you have, I don't know, a donut or something and then you're like, oh, it's <laughs> over. It's yeah. over, you know? Yeah. And then the next day you eat a bacon double cheese hamburger and gorge yourself because you broke your diet where it's yeah. better to just say like, oh, I ate a donut. I, I didn't hit it this day. Tomorrow's another day, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what ends up happening is <laughs> I become so quote unquote consistent in that thing. And so in breaking it just once, it literally can break the whole pattern. Right. When right. in reality, that's, that's, it's, it's yeah. more so doing what you just said. It's like, so what? I had a donut. So what? I had a burger or whatever right. it may be. You know, it, I, I think that's one of the challenges of actually doing a lot of these routines when it comes to clean eating and, and constant working out is that I don't know if it's meant to be like that. I think it's probably a combination of all of it. And it's a very difficult yeah. task. Don't get me wrong. There are people that I know that get it right, quote unquote, get it right every day. I just know that for me at this point of my life, I'm probably not that person, nor I aspire to be. I know that, I don't know, within the next seven days, I will probably have a burger or a donut. That's just a given. So... It's funny. I, I, I used to be kind of in, in, in to the punk scene, you know, mm -hmm. and I would see all these people who were straight edge, you know, so that was this with hardcore music and that it became this thing because of the band minor threat and then other bands where it was completely unacceptable to do anything decadent like drinking or any drugs or casual sex or anything like that. And it went from a positive movement because most rock movements were very self-destructive to this right. like dogma like clean eating it was like no casual sex if you have a people would punch people in the face for smoking cigarettes of all the people i knew who called themselves straight edge who didn't just behave that way but that it was like a religion to them i can tell you those were the biggest drug users i knew like like five years later i would meet the same people and they were like doing coke every day of the week hmm. it, it's like there's something about that like rigidity. It's like in East Germany, all of the most diehard communists had been Nazis, you know, under in World War II. It's like 
there is a certain kind of person. It's not even about the actual belief. It's that they need a dogma, you know? The vegans then become the paleo people. And I think you're right. I think if you can just sort of be a little looser with the rigidity, it, it's, it's, it usually works better and it's healthier for everyone involved, you know? And figure out what works for you. It's right. the same exact thing that you mentioned with Ryan Holiday. I remember I read one of his books, Ego is the Enemy, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in hearing some of these routines and concepts and how people operate, I would... I remember there were times where I would set these really unrealistic expectations for myself because, because of that book or, or just in general, just people in general, just yeah. seeing people around me who operate at very high level. So I consider myself to be um, high performer. Sure. And so when I see other people around me that are doing similar things, but maybe at five, five X, 10 X volume, for me, I try. I, I used to set those things as the expectations for myself, and then I realized it's just like that's not a feasible thing for me to accomplish. You know right. what Gary, what Gary Vee does, and that is he actually has a pro, uh, producer with him everywhere he goes, and so he'll document. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll document the whole thing, the whole day, and he'll cut that down into different components of yeah. content. And for me, it's like my life right now it, it's not really a feasible option to do that nor and do i really you, want why to should do you do that that guy is the world's biggest um extrovert you know what i mean like in yeah. other words there are people like robert green who document nothing they do like four interviews a year and he's yeah. just i don't know i i think he's just as accomplished in his way as gary vaynerchuk is mm-hmm Yeah. So I think there is something to be said, but I guess another question that I have for you is in regard to this comparison component, is it ever healthy to compare yourself to others? And if so, what might that be? I mean, is it ever healthy? I mean, it certainly doesn't feel good, right? But some people are fueled by competition, you know? I mean, I saw a documentary that a lot of people saw recently, The Last Dance, which was about the Bulls in the 90s and and Michael Jordan. And there's no denying that if he's not the best basketball player of all time, he's one of the top five. And he compared himself to people constantly. He he manufactured um, beefs with people that didn't exist like he had in his mind that that certain players said rude things to him on the court that fueled his whole season that he then had to admit wasn't really true Uh so like that guy couldn't exist without comparing himself to other people because he was so competitive so maybe the answer is find out what really motivates you like I'm competitive but it drives me it makes me upset you know like when 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 I'm comparing myself to other people I'm like oh I'm 43 years old and uh, I don't have a novel out yet. I only have nonfiction out. And this guy had both out when he was 33. I mean, that just makes me feel sad. I, it doesn't really like, fuel <laughs> me to do better. You know, it would be better for me to just focus on the practice, right? So everyone's motivated, I think, by, by different things. Mm-hmm. Michael, what's the best way that people can connect with you? I know that you have a book out. How do people find out more about that? Yeah, I mean, so, so the book is called um, The Hype Handbook. Um, and it's got a really long subtitle that even I always get out of order, but, but it's, a, it's a fun one. It's uh, 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Promoters, Propagandist, Cult Leaders, or Self-Promoters, Propagandist, Cult Leaders, 
mischief makers and boundary breakers. So it's it's all about this stuff. It's about taking, um, you know, looking at all of the the kind of colorful characters throughout history, many of whom are are sort of on the dark side, many of whom are not, and figuring out how to apply their their hype techniques, their persuasion techniques, you know, ethically. Yeah, I mean, you can get that if you have a bookstore near you, if, if it's open, that's obviously awesome, but not, they're, they're, they're different. But, you know, Barnes & Noble online, Amazon online, all of those places. Um, my company is called Microfame Media. So if you want to check that on online, it's, it's uh, microfamemedia.com. And um, I also, I, I uh, make book recommendations. I, when, when I read all these crazy books for research mm -hmm. about hype, not the typical marketing books, but biographies of, of, uh, of cult leaders and really weird crowd psychology books. So I have this, it's um, hypereads.com slash list. It's called the Hype Book Club. So that's also fun. What have you learned as far as a common theme goes amongst all the people that you have studied? Well, there, there, you know, I, I don't think there's one common theme, mm -hmm. but I think there's 12. I mean, I, I have that in the title for a reason, because when you look at these characters, I mean, I looked at everybody from, you know, really, really bad people, like, mm -hmm. like Charles Manson is in the book, you know, really bad people. And I looked at medium people like uh, Amy Semple McPherson, who was a, was a, an evangelist but she was very interested in money so she tried she was a religious leader but she was like the first celebrity evangelist and then i looked at really good people like martin luther king who uh, didn't just stand up for civil rights but he did it in a very public way to change the culture and i found that despite all of the surface level details you could boil down all of their methods into 12 strategies not 152 strategies not 790 strategies so what I found really interesting about that is that human beings are so alike, you know, the wrapping paper changes, but the way that we truly react to external stimuli um, really doesn't vary. So, and it's not immoral or, or moral. It just isn't, I, I guess, actually, I'm going to change my answer a little because I mm -hmm. think the one thing that all of these, what I call hype artists, but really masterful persuaders have in common is they see the world as it really is not as they wish it would be a lot of times we're doing our work and we say our work is so good that the cream will rise to the top like i'll hear a lot of writer friends say this like fiction writer friends will say you know i know i have to market myself but i shouldn't have to well you shouldn't have to that's that's nice that you shouldn't have to but you do whereas these people that i'm studying they all see the world as it really is. Like Martin Luther King knew that if he did passive resistance without the media there, that it was useless. You know what I mean, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the one thing they all have in common. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast so you can receive all of the latest content as well as all of the upcoming episodes. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.